So you might like to take out your Bibles this morning. Any guesses where we're going to be heading? No, we're actually going to be heading to Genesis this morning. Genesis this morning. Andrew will finish off the series through Romans next week. He and Ali have been at a, a conference down in Melbourna, actually, um, with the la- around the launch of 24-7 in Australia. So they'll be, they'll be heading back at, at this point, uh, hopefully fired up and encouraged and uh, blessed from having been there. But we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 32 this morning. And while you do that, I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you that you are here in our midst today. And Lord, thank you for this privilege that we have now to open up your word, your word that is living and active, your word that is that has been breathed out by you, Lord God, this word that is powerful, that is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path, that is truth, that is unchanging, that, uh, that will stand forever, Lord God. And we thank you for that, Lord. We ask that as we come to your word today, you would help us to have open hearts, soft hearts, ready to hear what you might want to say to us today. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe life upon these words. I just humbly bring them before you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Genesis 32 is where we're heading. So if you've seen this particular process happen in the lives of kids, whether that be your own kids or others, the process of learning to walk, of them learning to walk, can be incredibly joyful, can be wonderfully exhilarating, but at times it can also be somewhat terrifying. As they start to make those first steps, there's that joy and, ah, well done, go for it, that's wonderful. But there can also be those moments of terror as you see them teetering and tottering over towards that TV cabinet or that door door post or those steps as they're getting close. It can be both joyful and wonderful, but also terrifying at the same time. And in a different kind of way, it's said that the process of having to learn to walk again, for example, after perhaps an injury or an accident or something like that, is incredibly painstaking and frustrating as you have to essentially relearn that whole process and in some instances remap those pathways in your brain. For all of us, as followers of Jesus, we are learning to walk in the ways of Jesus, aren't we? We're learning to walk in the ways of Jesus, and at times that is incredibly joyful and wonderfully exhilarating. At times it can feel a little bit scary as we step out of the boat, perhaps. But at times in our lives of faith, there are seasons, perhaps, where we need to relearn to walk in some areas of our lives. Perhaps undoing some old ways of of thinking, perhaps relearning some maybe unhealthy uh, heart attitudes or pain that can build up and things like that. There are times when we need to relearn to walk in a sense so that we can walk in greater surrender and greater freedom. In this passage today, we're going to look at an account of Jacob. And he kind of had to relearn to walk again after this encounter with the Lord. And so just by way of a little bit of context here, for Jacob, he's been on a little bit of an interesting journey. Have you ever been on an interesting journey in life? Perhaps where things didn't quite work out 
the way that you had expected. Or perhaps where things don't make sense. You know, even in those times, even in the interesting journeys, the wonderful thing is that the Lord is still at work. The Lord is still faithful, working out his plans and his purposes. So for Jacob, he's been on an interesting journey. He grew up in a home where his twin brother Esau was his dad's favorite. And Jacob, of course, was his mom's favorite. And so you can imagine Jacob growing up, trying to seek his father's approval, trying to earn his love, trying to get his attention, trying to prove himself to be a worthy son. And we know from what Scripture tells us that his, his nature was as a bit of a deceiver, right? He was always scheming and plotting and probably planning how he could do this and, 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 and uh, prove himself in his father's eyes. And so where we're at this morning in the passage, he's, he's in this place where uh, many years ago he had deceived his brother and stolen his birthright. He deceived his father and got the blessing that was rightfully Esau's as the firstborn son. He'd fled. He'd found his uncle Laban. He'd lived, I guess, a blessed life. There was favor. There was success there. There was property that built up, flocks that built up, wives, children, all those things. And the Lord had spoken just in the previous chapter in the early part of Genesis 31 and said, hey, it's time to go. It's time to return to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. But even so, he's in this place of fear and uncertainty, particularly regarding his brother Esau, uh, because he had wronged and deceived him. And the last time he'd seen him, his brother wanted to kill him. And word comes back that uh, Esau's coming out to meet him and he's got with him a group of some uh, 400 men. Now, that doesn't perhaps sound like a very friendly welcoming party, as it does perhaps more of an army coming out. So understandably, Jacob is in this place of fear and uncertainty. And this is where we'll pick it up in Genesis 32, verse 22. And it says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, Limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. It's a bit of an interesting passage, but as we read it, we can see that this was a marking moment for Jacob. If we consider where he had been and where God had led him and where God was taking him, this was a moment of significance. This was a moment where he was changed. This is a moment where he walked differently after this encounter with the Lord. And you know, our God is a God who desires to meet with his people. 
He desires to mark his people. He desires to encounter us so that we are changed as a result. There are a couple of things this morning that I want to bring out of this passage that I want to encourage us in. Uh, If you were at the Revive Night a couple of weeks ago, I preached along similar lines, but hopefully a a few different things this morning um, that you'll be able to to grab hold of. The first thing that I'd love us to see and encourage us in today is the power and the priority of the secret place. We read in verse 24, it says that Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone. I want to put to us this morning that something significant happens when we get alone with God. There is something vital and something essential about the secret place before God, where we seek him, where we draw near to him, and where we get to know him. Perhaps it's the the world or the culture that we live in. But so often, perhaps we are looking for the, the big and the exciting and the spectacular. You know, what comes to mind uh, is, is the, the account of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, where he's there seeking the Lord, looking for the Lord to speak. And there's this mighty wind that comes, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. There's this big earthquake that happens. And the Bible tells us that he wasn't in the earthquake. There's the fire that comes. The Bible tells us the Lord was not in the fire. So often we can look for the big and the spectacular and exciting when often the reality is the Lord is found in the still small voice or the thin silence as it says in 1 Kings 19. It's often when we turn aside to make room for him. So I want to encourage us today to not be afraid to come before God, to seek him, to be alone with him. Because there are so many distractions So many things that are seeking to pull us away from the Lord and keep us distracted. And of course, I'm not wanting to get into all that and rail against the various distractions available to us. There are many and varied ones, as there has been throughout each generation in history. But often, we don't even give ourselves a chance to be still before the Lord, to be still and know that He is God, as it says in Psalm 46. If we are looking to Jesus, as it says so beautifully in Hebrews 12, the author, the perfecter of our faith, if we're looking to him, we see that he modeled the secret place so beautifully. It sustained him. And time, time and time again in the Gospels, we read that Jesus, he rose early and withdrew to a secluded place to pray, to seek his Father. We read time and time again, he, he withdrew from the crowds that he went on the mountainside and and perhaps spent the night in prayer. He himself said that he only did what he saw the Father doing, and he said what he saw the Father saying. And I, I kind of think that we love that picture, don't we? We love that picture. We pray, Lord, let us be a people who who only do what you are doing. We want to be a people about your business, Father. We want a people who say only say what you're saying. And that's great, but how do we do that? How do we learn the things that are on your heart to do the thing, his heart, the things to do and say that he is doing and saying? Well, I would suggest it's in the secret place and learning to be alone with God. 
Recently, as, as, as many of you know, Andrew and I went across to the U.S. on a little bit of a ministry trip. We attended a, a pastor's conference and some other churches and ministries there, and it was just encouraging to see what the Lord was doing. But one thing that was uh, really encouraging about the conference and about uh, one of the churches that we visited was they had this real emphasis on the one thing, the priority of the one thing, you know, out of Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42, where there's... Martha, they're busying herself with much serving. And Mary is there sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, one thing is needed. So often we can get caught up doing the many things that we neglect the one thing. And there is just a real importance for us of learning to have the posture of Mary in a Martha world. Because it's in the secret place that we're marked by the Lord. He longs to be found. He longs to be known. He longs to reveal himself to us. And for Jacob, in this passage, getting to that place of being alone with God was quite significant for him. He encountered the Lord and was changed. And so I believe that the Lord is highlighting for us as his people in this season the priority and the power of the secret place before him. Will we respond to that invitation to step into that place, regardless of what the circumstances might be like around us, whether we're in that place of fear or uncertainty, whether things are going great, to to draw aside and to be alone with God. Whether that looks like waking that bit earlier, getting out into the woods for a walk, Whatever it might look like for you in your stage of life, let it involve getting to know the Lord through his word, through prayer, through worship. Those elements, I believe, are so important. The power, the priority of the secret place. Secondly, this morning, this is where I want to spend the majority of time focusing from the passage. The power and the priority of surrender. We read that as a result of being alone with God, of wrestling with God, of being marked by the Lord and receiving his blessing, that the result was that Jacob, in fact, walked with a limp from that time on. And I humbly put to you this morning that it is important for us to learn to walk with a limp as followers of Jesus. I want to share just a couple of things this morning as we go for the rest of our time together, a little bit openly, a little bit vulnerably, today, if that's okay. And uh, as I mentioned, we went across to the US just recently. And for me personally, uh, for much of the last year or so, uh, I've sensed the Lord just drawing or highlighting or bringing to my attention New York, this big, bustling city of New York. It was like, you know, wherever I'd go, there'd be people wearing clothes with New York on it, or there'd be like a sign with New York on it. There'd be a menu item at the cafe. with New. And every time it was like the Lord was just highlighting that. And it kind of happened enough to be like, okay, this is more than just like random coincidence. What are you saying, Lord? It just felt like there was a drawing there for something that I wasn't quite aware of. And so when the opportunity a couple of months ago of this trip came up to go across to be part of this pastor's conference, which was in Orlando on the east side of the country, And I thought, well, maybe we could kind of turn aside and given that we're on the same side of the country, head up to New York and just see what the Lord might have there in that particular city. 
Now, I must confess, if I'm honest, that there was an element of thinking, perhaps maybe there's going to be some significant encounter there. Maybe that's, you know, like the beam of light that breaks through the heavens and comes and maybe the, the church roof parts and there's this word that the Lord brings or maybe it's like you kind of randomly bump into someone and they have this prophetic word that lays out the next 5, 10, 15 years. I don't know. So how many of us know that it can be easy to come to the Lord with our expectation, with our wants, with our agenda? You know, like a vending machine, we kind of put the coins in the slot, we type in what we want, and then, oh, great. Or like those Mac- McDonald's, you know, you go into McDonald's now, and it's kind of a bit too hard to order to a person, so you have to press on those screens. It's like, yep, I'll have the burger, I'll have the fries. And then they say, would you like to upgrade to a... And you're like, yeah, I'd, I'd like an upgrade. And then you pay for it. It's like we come to God sometimes, and it's like, yep, thank you, Lord, I'll have that, I'll have that. An upgrade, that sounds great. Thank you, Lord, very much. And therefore, so we have this expectation and our agenda of what we are wanting. But you know, his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. And often they're different than ours. And there is a call for us to learn to surrender our agenda. To surrender our agenda so that his can be outworked. Often the Lord is at work in ways we don't even realize, in ways that are so easy to miss, in ways that maybe are significant, but we don't even recognize the significance of them at the time. In fact, it might even seem rather insignificant or mundane. This happened to me in New York City. And I was uh, really encouraged by the churches that we visited there. I was really encouraged to see just faithful followers of Jesus seeking to make a real impact and a difference on their city, to really seek and press into the Lord in prayer, believing that God wants to move in that city that is fairly hostile to the things of the gospel, fairly secular and progressive. I was really encouraged by all those things. The messages we heard were wonderful, received prayer, that was great. But it was, a, it was a worthwhile and encouraging time. But if I'm honest, nothing earth-shattering in terms of what I was perhaps looking for. The heavens hadn't parted. Probably that was because there was just thick, heavy cloud that stayed the whole two or three days we were there. It rained the whole time we were there. Maybe that was prophetic. The Lord, I don't know. But on the last morning that we were there, I'd gone along to this early 6 a.m. prayer meeting session at this particular church that was there. And after that, I'd gone for a long run exploring Central Park. That was kind of one of my bucket list items while we were there. Towards the end of this run, I noticed just a little bit of a niggle in my foot. Just a little bit of pain and discomfort, but didn't think anything of it. Finished the run. And went back, got ready, had a shower, went down for breakfast. And by that time... My foot was in so much pain, I could hardly walk. I was limping along. I was really struggling. I don't know, there must be something about overseas trips and foot injuries. Andrew shared about that earlier in the year for him. I was seriously struggling, and of course, I prayed for it. I asked the Lord to bring healing. I was like, Lord, I, wanna, I don't want to just kind of miss what you have these last couple of days because I can't move. So I limped out of New York City and on to Dallas, which was our next stop. 
And we visited an amazing church and ministry there called Upper Room. And they ministered to the Lord with worship and prayer, full team, everything, morning, noon, and night. Logistics of that are amazing. But just the sweet times in the presence of the Lord. And as we're sitting there the next day, my foot was totally fine. And so I was beyond thankful. I was like, thank you, Lord, so much for healing my foot. But I was also asking the Lord, what was all that about? What was that pain? What was that discomfort? What was that inconvenience of the pain in my foot? And in that moment of worship, in his presence there, I sensed the Lord impress upon my heart. Adam, don't you see? You left New York City walking with a limp. And then this passage in Genesis came to mind. And as I opened up this passage, began to see much of what I'm sharing, what I, where I'll head to. And I felt the Lord began to speak to my heart. That in the natural, you left that place limping. And that was a sign in the natural of what I'm wanting to do in the spiritual and in my heart. Because as we read in verse 25 here, the Lord touched Jacob and as a result, he walked differently. He walked with a limp. He left that place of encounter with a weakened body, but with strengthened faith. And so this is something, I guess, if I'm honest this morning, that has been quite personal to me, that the Lord has been doing work in my own heart, unraveling some things, learning to walk again, spiritually speaking, with a limp. And I'm still processing some of these things. You know, the time that we were away, one of my prayers and desires and to, what I was seeking the Lord in was, Lord, can't even blame the jet lag now. <laughs> Lord, would you break through? Would you set me free from the fear of man? from the need for approval, from this desire to perform, to strive to have it all together. Because I'm being really honest with you this morning. <laughs> Those are things that have been in here. Those are things that can cover up <laughs> Those were things that were my prayer, Lord. I want to be free of these things. I don't just want to make it all about me because I believe there's something in this for all of us this morning. Something happened to Jacob in that place of being alone with God, of wrestling with God. It marked him and it changed him. And it's interesting how God met him where he was at. One of the Bible commentaries I was looking at this week puts it this way. It says, God meets us at whatever level he finds us in order to lift us where he wants us to be. To Abraham the pilgrim, God came as a traveler in Genesis 18. To Joshua the general, God came as a soldier in Joshua 5. Jacob had spent most of his life wrestling people, Esau, 
Isaac, Laban, even his wives. So God came to him as a wrestler. When the Lord touched him, he had no choice but to surrender. Certainly to keep wrestling and striving with the dislocated hip would have been futile. He met with God and was changed. A.W. Tozer said, The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. He conquered Jacob by weakening him, weakening that self-reliance, weakening that pride, weakening that old nature and identity that he had, weakening that desire to seek to have success and blessing due to his own strengths and abilities. And in the process, the Lord strengthened him because his reliance perhaps shifted from himself and to the Lord. And you know it's the same for us. In the natural, walking with a limp seems like weakness. It's a hassle. It's inconvenient. It can seem like weakness, but spiritually speaking, walking with a limp means that in our weakness, he is strong. For Jacob, his limp made him even more vulnerable with what he was about to face. He was about to face this angry, bitter brother that he hadn't seen in 20 years. But what did that mean? It forced him in that place of weakness, forced his faith to more fully rest upon God and not himself. Paul articulates this idea beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. You may like to turn there. You might have it up on the screen, maybe, maybe not, depending on whether pro presenters are still doing its thing. But this is what he writes. He's, he's, he's spoken about these visions and revelations that he has had. And in verse 7 it says, So to keep me from coming, becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, because of this, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak... Then I am strong. Paul writes here in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited. You know, pride, conceit, self-sufficiency, all those things will actually hinder the work of God in us and through us. And so for Paul in this instance, he was given a thorn in the flesh, some form of weakness that we don't actually know exactly what it was. Maybe... You know, that's kind of encouraging. Some scholars believe it was some physical ailment or illness or something like that. But Paul pleaded with God to take it away. Have you ever felt like this in an area of your life? With an area of weakness? You've been pleading with God to take it away. Perhaps a struggle or a wrestle through something whether they be circumstances, whether they be limitations perceived or otherwise in your own life. Perhaps it's a struggle with sin and you're in this place and you're like, Lord, take it away. Just take it away. Things would be much easier if it was gone. Has anyone ever felt like that before? One person. Okay, great. 
too, including me. <laughs> you know, the Lord is far more concerned with our hearts than with us just having the easy option. And he says here, but, verse 9, but, he said, here it is again, learning to surrender our agenda to his. He said, but, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, because of this, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't know about you, but I would very much like the power of Christ to rest upon me. Not just the power or the gifts or the abilities of Adam. As a church, I would very much desire that the power of Christ would rest upon us. As his people, as we gather As his people, as we go from here into our weeks and wherever it is that God has called us. I would very much desire that the power of Christ would rest upon us as a community of believers. Not not that it would just be clever strategies or programs or marketing or anything like that. But the power of Christ would rest upon us. That the grace that is sufficient would be at work and would be be being made perfect in our weakness. You see... For Jacob, if we go back to the account in Genesis, in the past, he was always clever enough, sneaky enough, one step ahead enough to get by to do well. And up until this marking moment, much of his life had been about him. Yes, there were the promises of God, there were the blessings, but it was he who deceived his brother to gain his birthright. It was him carrying out his mother's plot to steal his father's blessing. He worked hard for Laban to earn his wives. He did his thing to kind of grow his flock, that sneaky thing he did with the, at the watering hole there. He was the one who grew and increased in wealth and possession. But here, in this place of encounter with the Lord, alone with God, wrestling with him, as he, held, he could only rely, as he, as he held on to the man that we know was revealed to be God, He could only rely on God to bless him. It was as if the Lord was marking him with a new identity, saying things are going to be different. In your weakness, I will be strong. You know, as he went from that place walking with a limp, it was like the Lord was saying, as you walk with that limp, it will be a reminder. It will be a reminder to you that in your weakness, I am the one who is strong and working through you. You know, walking with a limp in our lives of faith means surrender Instead of striving. It means our lives and our success don't depend on our own methods, our own efforts, our own strivings, or our own performance. But on his grace and his power being outworked in our lives and perfected even in our weakness. I love what it says in Zechariah 4.6 where it says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so we read a verse like that. We read a passage like 2 Corinthians 12 that says his grace is sufficient. It's not by might or by power, but by his spirit. We read that and it kind of goes against the grain, doesn't it? And if if I'm honest, and perhaps some of you will identify this, it probably even rubs us up the wrong way at times. I read an article this week titled, Grace is Bad Math. And the writer was looking at and unpacking how the Lord measures things, what's important to him, what is success in his eyes 
is different than what we think. It doesn't always add up. It perhaps doesn't always make sense, but then that's the beauty of grace, isn't it? This unmerited, undeserved kindness, favor, enabling power that is bestowed upon us. And he, the writer ended this article with, grace is bad math. He ended it with this equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This idea of not by might, not by power, of his power being made perfect in our weakness, it goes against the grain because pretty much all of our modern Western life is set up in some way, shape or form to be based on performance. Our identity is so easy for it to be found and caught up in some degree in what we do. For example, schooling or education. I have a high value for education, please don't hear me wrong, but the reality is it's about grades, you do your exams to prove that you've understood and it's about achievement and growing and learning and performance. Relationally, often it can be the case that if you perform a certain way, do all the right things, then things will tend to go well. In the workplace, you know, there's that sense of getting the job done. Fulfilling the measurables, success, productivity, sport, purely, sport is purely based on performance, really. If you don't measure up, if you don't get the results, you don't get on the team, you don't stay in the team. You know, for me, this is actually quite a personal one, because as some of you may know, sport was my pursuit for many years. My aim, my goal, my driving pursuit. Until such time as the Lord invited me and led me to lay down my pursuit of it. Because I sensed that he's had something else for me. So out of obedience in response to that, I laid down that pursuit. And as wonderful as sport is, as great as it is, in my humble opinion. There are aspects of that pursuit. There are aspects of that particular culture or that mentality that surrounds it that can actually rub off and take roots in our heart, even unintentionally. That can frame our perspective or our view of the world, of ourselves, and even of God. Maybe sport isn't your thing. Maybe it's foreign to you. Maybe you don't care much about it. That's okay. That's okay. But perhaps elements of these things taking root in your heart like seeking to prove yourself to God, to others, perhaps the striving to measure up or to be good enough, perhaps the, the feeling, this thing that's going on in your heart, the need to have it all together. Maybe those things are not so foreign to you. They're certainly not foreign to me. It's easy to develop this hard attitude of needing to prove ourselves. You know, like Peter, where Jesus says to him, hey, you know, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me. And Peter's like, no, not going to happen, Lord. Not going to happen. Even if everyone else falls away, I'll be there with you. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it. I've got this.
something the Lord is doing in my own heart, very much a work in progress. He's not a coach where you need to prove your capability or value to him to perform your job. Maybe for you, the Lord is not a boss where you've got to measure up and get things done. Something the Lord is doing, my own heart flowing from the U.S. trip. I'm still processing through it. It's learning to break out of those models and unhealthy ways of being. For me, in the outward, the natural limp as I left New York was a marker of what I believe the Lord is doing and desiring to do in here. And something that I dare say the Lord is wanting to perhaps do and bring freedom in for others here too this morning. I believe that he wants to move in our hearts and touch them in such a way that we learn to walk in surrender instead of striving. That we learn to walk with a greater degree of humility instead of hubris. Where we learn to walk with a greater awareness of our need of Jesus than our need to have it all together. Where we realize that what he thinks and what he says is actually far more important than what others might think or say. Maybe if we can learn to walk like this, learn to walk with a limp as it were, Maybe, just maybe, there will be an increase in the by my spirit as it talks about in Zechariah chapter 4. Maybe, just maybe, if we can learn to walk in this kind of way, there will be an increase in the so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. Let's bring it back to the gospel this morning. Can we maybe get the worship team to come back up, please? You see, this gospel is truly good news. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed is truly one of life and freedom. Jesus came to set us free, yes, from sin and from all its hideous effects, but he also came to set us free from the tyranny of a system, a system of law and religion and striving and performance and proving ourselves and proving our worth. You know, it says in Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we had it all together, not when we measured up, but why we were still sinners, why we were still far off. That's good news for us this morning. You know, when the Lord touched Jacob in that encounter he had with him, he was different, he was marked. It was evident something had happened to him. He was given a new name and he stepped into his true identity. But he also stepped into great authority because in surrender, he came under his authority in a deeper way. Oswald Chambers said this, he said that true weakness and dependence will always be the occasion for the Spirit of God to manifest his power. I long to see his power poured out and evident in a deeper way in our midst and in our hearts and lives. Instead of relying upon our own strengths and capabilities, may we be a people learning to walk with a limp so that we come to a place where we learn to rely on his strength and allow him to be God. Instead of trying to prove ourselves, remember this morning that he has already proven himself. He has already proven his love. 
he has already proven his faithfulness. He has already proven his grace and his mercy at the cross. Would we, in response, surrender and hold on to him and not let him go? Would you stand this morning? I pray that we would be a people who learn to walk with a limp, surrender instead of striving, relying on his grace and his power instead of just our own efforts and abilities and performance and all those things that can take root in our heart, can hinder what God wants to do. You guys got a song? Well, can I invite the prayer team just to come forward at this point? We're just going to finish with uh, the worship team singing over us. But I also want to give opportunity to respond to the word this morning. And I don't know where each of us are at today. What I sense is that perhaps there are some of you, maybe some of these things have resonated with you, where you've just, kind of the picture that the Lord brought to mind was that hamster wheel, where you feel like you're on that hamster wheel of needing to strive and measure up and prove yourself and earn God's love, and then it's this vicious cycle that keeps going and keeps playing out in your heart and in your life. I believe that the Lord wants to Just meet you where you're at this morning. Bring his touch and bring his freedom and bring his truth. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to respond in a way, in essence, saying, Lord, yeah, I desire to learn to walk with a limp, to learn to walk in that place of surrender so that your power can be outworked in a deeper way in my life and through my life for your glory, Lord. So if you're in that place this morning as well, that desire to come before the Lord in greater surrender, I'd invite you to come and receive prayer as well. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you you are a good and faithful God, that you have indeed proven already yourself to us. I thank you that that does indeed take the pressure off, that you have proven your love and your faithfulness, your mercy and your grace towards us. And Lord, uh, we just come before you this morning as your people. Would you help us, Lord, to learn to walk with a limp? Help us to learn to walk in that place of surrender. It's no longer I, but Christ. I just pray, Lord, even as the Apostle Paul wrote, You spoke to him, revealing that your grace is sufficient, 
not just enough to get by, but more than enough for all that we need, that your grace is sufficient and that your power is made perfect in our weakness. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that that reality would also become their reality. The reality of your grace, the reality of your spirit being at work. Pray even this morning that, Lord, this might be a marking moment for people here. That they would leave this place different, walking differently than when they came in because they've encountered, that they've, they've met with you, Lord. May we lay down striving. May we lay down that performers that need for approval, whatever whatever way it might manifest, Lord, this morning, where that's a thing. May your love flood our hearts afresh. May your truth come afresh, Lord, where there's been lies that we've believed. We thank you, God, that you meet us where we are. we go from here this morning, we surrender. Lord, I just bless each and every person here with your love, Heavenly Father, with your grace, Lord Jesus, with the presence and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name.